You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Eight oh seven in the morning. You're on Wake Up Tucson, ten thirty. The Voice, local news and talk. When uh, lots of reaction from Joanne's uh, uh, appearances on the show, Di Filippo, and of course, uh, getting a lot of reaction to her prediction that the Pima County uh, fund balance was is getting close to zero before it's all over. When you look at the trends, and this is the concern zero inside point. There's Dean Wormer. <laughs> All right, thank you, sir. That we're basically the Pima County is uh, running out of uh, out of uh, money. Bud Foster or Dud, as I call you, this is the kind of story you need to do, Dud. Okay, instead of doing uh, Andres Canos crying that he's still at a, a disadvantage on a, a two person vote in the in the Senate or the House, and he's crying about it, which no one really gives a damn. Why don't you work on stuff locally here? You know, another story that you should be covering, how's this for a transition, is there was a press conference uh, last week uh, with four co-chairs of a variety of political parties about bringing a little uh, justice to, to me, a vestige of racism uh, aspect of voting in Tucson, which is ward-only elections that don't happen, this citywide voting is part of that and so two of the four co-chairs are here and they're two of my favorites we have drew heaton the grand mistress of the libertarian party how are you doing young lady i'm fabulous thanks for having me chris <laughs> and then our very good friend fernando gonzalez how are you doing fernando i'm doing great thank you again thank you for having us here so let's start with drew and then we'll move over to fernando on this question why was it important for you uh you you good human beings to jump in as co-chairs of something that brings war a proposition to bring ward only voting in the general for tucson well personally i believe that if government is to be anything it is to be small and as local as possible and the idea that we're bringing together our community from different political backgrounds is a beautiful thing to me because that is what i am all about chris because the other two uh, co-chairs are ted downing and luis gonzalez Mm -hmm. who are democrats who might uh, is ted is an independent now right no ted's an independent and luis is still a democrat right okay so fernando how about for you why is it important for you to be part of the ward only voting proposition i i echo the sentiment that uh, drew just mentioned you know i think it's important and it's really true uh, representative government when you are able to vote for someone um and allow for that person to really represent you it, the the system right now currently is is whacked you know they have a hybrid system where you know it's a partisan uh primary uh and people are are um running the primary and then it actually goes to citywide so there's a lot of evidence of of uh, and and through throughout history that people who have actually lost their ward they go to the citywide and they win there. So they kind of put their thumbs up at people and say, I know you don't want me, but I'm here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and that usually has happened on the east side the last uh, several election cycles. So Matt and I have been talking about this, about how originally this system was set up to disenfranchise people from certain wards. Mm-hmm. Is that your understanding? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Right? The idea that the white guys who were running Tucson at the time did not want representation from the Mexican-American wards, and so they could disenfranchise them by doing a citywide. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, it goes back to the Jim Crow laws, you know. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So that's why, you know, we... And I love the fact that I've known Drew for a long time, you know, also, and and I love the fact that it's not just a particular party. It's all these parties have gotten together and they say, hey, this is not right. We need to change it. And I know they've tried before, but uh, it was usually one party pushing and now we got, you know, four different parties. Tucson, Tucsonans agree. We want ward only voting, right? So what's, so what is, I guess so the question is, so now we got to gather signatures. So talk about the efforts of gathering, gathering signatures because now we have we have people from, not that the Pima Democrat Party is going to help you. Uh, um, are they? I don't know. I mean, well, is the I love, Repu- this, is the I love Republican- that. I love that cockeyed optimism. <laughs> or is the is, Republican Party going to Is the Republican Party going to help us? You I know, haven't heard. I, I feel like it, it. it's not a partisan thing. It is a Tucsonan resident thing. And I think if we take this issue to the people and they understand what is at stake, they'll lose that and realize that this is the best thing for us to do for our community. So, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Chris, I'm a libertarian. I don't ask for help from the right or the left. You know, the pendulum swings from the right or the left. And, and Tucsonans are stuck in the middle, depending on who is holding that stick. So um, I think we've got a great team of co-chairs and the message that we have is very positive uh, for our community and they just need to hear it. Thanks for helping us get it out there. Um, and we're going to keep doing that as long as we can become our own media. We'll be successful at that because, you know, we're shut out of the regular media, which, which I think is kind of telling because what is the media covering right now? They're covering the state level, which is partisan divide. Whereas if they if they pointed their cameras at our community, they would see that all the political parties have come together and said, this is what we want. This is what we want. Tucsonans agree they want ward-only voting. Well, sad to say, right, the, the, the partisanship of the media, right, mm-hmm. in, in, in this area, that's part of it. And the part of it's ignorance, right? Sure. Like, like I told you guys before we got on the air, there's 12-year-olds running news departments at the KOLD or KGON9 who go, ward-only? What, what's that mean? I don't know what that means, <laughs> yeah. right? Or... It's like, you know, we, we've been talking about famously about how the star, the sentinel, these people, they're not, they're not going to cover anything that's going to make local D's not look great, right? And the local D's don't want what you want. The local elected D's don't want what, you're, what, you're, what, you, what you guys are trying to get done here. Right. The establishment. The establishment on yeah. either side. So. Right. Well, I, again, I don't know what the Republic. I haven't. I know the D's are definitely the the, the elected D's are not in for this. I don't know mm-hmm. what the. I'll give the party local party a chance to respond. Right, this. and I and I hope that they respond positively. But I think it is a challenge when you have a state push and from state Republicans who are pushing this. That that's getting a lot of media, and so unless our message gets out there, I think there's the tendency to say, well, you know, they have our best interests in mind, and and I think that their intentions are probably good, um, but I just think that they're misled on how to properly address the concerns. Gotcha. Yeah, one of the things I think that's going to be really important is that we're going to get out there, and we're going to show a united front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's I, I like what Drew said. It's not a partisan issue. Uh, but, you know, uh, 
In reality, you know, I visited a, a club yesterday, and all the people that were there were for it. So, uh, so, but, but again, you know, they're they're a little surprised that that we have the four different parties working <laughs> together. It's like what, you know? It's, it's my dream come true, baby. <laughs> it's my dream come true. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool, and I and I I mentioned it on purpose, you know, that we have a Democrat. We have mm-hmm. a libertarian. We have a independent and a Republican. You know, so so that I, I thought it was well received, and they took some um, some uh, sh- uh, petitions with them. So we had a few people actually get some petitions. How many signatures do you kids need to get this on the ballot? Oh, I'm trying. I to think it's just under fifteen, but we're gunning yeah. for 25, twenty five. Twenty twenty five. Okay. Thousand. Yeah. Yep. And how can the Wakeys help you guys? And how do they get in contact with you guys to help? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think we need pe- we need signatures, uh, number one. So I think that it would be uh, really good if you know they they can contact us and we can give them some some uh, petitions because uh, we're got, we're going to need. Um, I think in July sometime. Uh, it's definitely a summer. Yeah, yeah. That that we need to to turn them in. And we have a uh, we uh, we're doing a website. Uh, I don't know if it's completely done yet, but we're gonna have a website, and um, so that definitely can go to the website and and uh, and get more information. Okay. Well, when you guys when you guys have a place for people to contact, well, they don't have to contact. I'm checking in on it right now, but okay. so for example, people can reach out to me at heatin4arizona.com and reach out to me there. Okay. So, so one more time is that? Heaton, Heaton for, Arizona. for Arizona at gmail.com. Okay. That's my political email. Gotcha. Right okay. And they can Number order. four, the number four. So, yeah. yeah. And, and and I have my Facebook page. I post stuff on there. Fernando Gonzalez, just uh, um, you can look me up or just uh, ganando at yahoo.com. I got it. Okay. It's, we just yeah. pulled it up. Yes. Go. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes for Tucson.org. Spell F-O-R. So yes for Tucson.org. All right. So if you want to help, they need 15,000, but they really, you know. The, so, okay. So let me explain how the petition process works in the city of Tucson. <laughs> Thank you. All right. If the city of Tucson wants to petition the pass, right, they do the worst scrutiny of petition signatures mm. ever. Yeah. <laughs> they take like two sheets and they go, well, that looks pretty good. And they accept, <laughs> like, if you saw the mess on the $15 an hour one mm-hmm. and what the city did, the the worst scrutiny of those petitions ever, you'd be like, get the hell out of here, right? Right. But if for something like this, they will scrutinize every signature because they don't want it. Yes, so that's why we that's need twenty exactly. to twenty-five thousand to clear that. Exactly. They Thanks will for hire. Pointing that out. Yeah, they will <laughs> hire three extra outside companies <laughs> to scrutinize this stuff. So, all right. Okay. So I'm, we're going to take one call, and then we'll get to the guys. Go remember yes for f o r yes for tucson.org to find out more and how to volunteer to get petitions and you know get Tucson up to I don't know the 21st century for God's sakes. So remember when all of you all you know they were selling that you know when Mark Brinovich said abortion rights was 1868. I don't know when we started this. But we're still voting like it's 1920. 1920s, I think. Yeah. So let's 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 get out of the 1920s uh, voting here. Uh, let's go to JP on line two. JP, you're on with Drew and Fernando. 
Thanks a lot, Chris. Hi, Drew and Fernando. It's great to hear what you're doing. Uh, I got a question about, uh, like, signature-wise, I would sign in a heartbeat, but I'm a resident of the county. I'm not a resident of the city, and my post office is Marana. I'm not in the town of Marana. I never get to vote there. I don't get to vote for the Tucson things, but there's lots of us out here on the fringes that are really, uh, what, concerned, uh, impacted by what goes on with the Tucson elections. Absolutely. (laughs) What can we do? Uh, Well, I'm in the same position as you. So what am I doing, right? I've I've Uh come on board. I'm helping push this because uh, my husband does have a business in the city and everything that happens in the city affects me, right? So we don't have to live in the city for what happens in the city to affect us. So um, grab a petition. Call everyone you know in, in the city of Tucson. Ask them to to sign, circulate it. We can do something. We definitely can. All righty. And that, again, was what? Yes for Tucson? Yes, Dot that's org. correct. Yesfortucson.org. Okay. And that's a numeral for? No, F-O-R. Okay. Then uh, I'll get on that as soon as I can. But more power to you because we're all living in the same... <laughs> crap hole Mm -hmm. given to us by the city of Tucson. They're a big part of the problem. So, JP, thanks for volunteering, and uh, remember, yesfortucson.org. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. Well, thank you to both of you for stepping up. Thank you. We'll have continued conversations about this as we move on. And uh, thanks, sir. Again, uh, you guys have always been stepping up and putting yourselves out there, so thank you for being the beautiful masochist that you are <laughs> we appreciate it we appreciate you chris yes, thanks, all you chris. do man. thank you guys so drew said we could play two songs for glenn fry or asia what the hell do you think we were going to play so the heat goes on this goes out to drew heaton Eight twenty-six in the morning you're on wake up tucson all right i got I, this is the, the song's good for this um so uh no longer a state representative but he keeps putting it on his email mark fincham one of our favorites with the money train emails. Everything's about raising money. You know what's coming up later this week? What's coming up? Oh, St. Saint, uh, Frederick's Day? Correct. And the Frauds of March. That's coming up on Wednesday, the Frauds of March. So Double donation day. You are correct. Uh, today's uh, happy coconut tort fraud day. Et tu fraudus? Ah, now you're getting it. So when I saw this title, because he has the worst, mani- this is like those manipulating emails just to give him money. Well, okay. and he needs the money because he's got to pay Governor Hobbs' legal bills. Correct. So from re- ex-representative Mark Fincham, hello, Chris. I'm really worried. I've been writing about writing you about the escalating concerns with Cartel Katie and Fontas the Fraud. The evidence is mounting against them that everything they've ever done is a fraud and a crime. But yesterday, our legal fund raised only $380. I can only buy one cowboy hat with the $380. Oh, sorry. This just won't work. It's unacceptable. We're in the midst of one of the greatest legal fights of the 21st century, and we cannot continue. If we have another day, like $380, just won't cut it. I need to raise at least $3,860. 
for our legal fund today to make up for the shortfall yesterday. To I our- don't know. <laughs> I know I can find 100 election integrity patriots who will rise up and donate $38 or 10 10 election integrity warriors who will donate $386 today. Come on. If we don't raise enough money, I want to go to Jimmy Swagger crying now. If we don't raise enough money to make up for yesterday's shortfall, we will have to yield to Cartel Katie and Fontes de Fraud. Thank you for your support. God bless. Mark Fincham, Arizona House of Representatives, District 11, which no longer exists. Republican for Arizona Secretary of State Conservative and Election Election Integrity Patriot. Just like my good friend Sam Hagar said, we got to finish what we started. Matt, we're going to call up Zach from the Heritage Foundation when we come back. Thank you. Wake up, Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. 380 won't do. All right. Simon uh, and the boys for uh, Jen and Mary. Our Duran girls. We try to we try to keep it up as best as possible getting those Duran songs out for our two biggest Duran Duran groupies. We do have to do the roadie to see them. I think I think the closest they're coming is Vegas. I we, we pray they add a Phoenix state. They're tr- trust me, they are not coming to Tucson. But um anyway, we have uh Zach is come not that Zach, not the one that makes me fall asleep like in three seconds. Not that Zach. Mr. Narcissist. We're not having that guy on right now. Now, if he wants to come on and hit me with things like words like tipping point and other big words with his, you know, Edmund Marquez uh, temporary tattoo on his on his rear end, we'd love to do that too. So can't wait. We can have both of them. They can tell us how Tucson's a city on the rise. Be great. Uh, let's go right to the phones. And we have uh, our friends from the Heritage Foundation and we have Zach on the line. Zach, good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. His name is Zach Smith. Zach, what? A, Zach, tell us about your uh, your. They call you a heritage expert. Are you a junior or senior expert? That's what I always ask everybody. <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm a legal fellow in the Mies Center at the Heritage Foundation. We cover a host of topics. Uh, but I'm a former uh, federal prosecutor, and so I write a lot on uh, crime and criminal justice uh, issues. So this morning we're going to talk about the um, the House recently voted to overturn a bill that would soften D.C.'s criminal code. And, to, and we, we, we talk about crime in Tucson because we're, we're overrun with crime in Tucson, and we're run by Democrats, and basically the taxpayer and citizen is the lowest form of life when it comes to public safety in this community. So this is why this interested me. Uh, tell us about the, the tell, first, let's start with the, Let's talk about the relationship of the federal government and Washington DC. Cause a lot of people have that question is why are we voting in right. Congress about DC's criminal code? Yeah, it's a great question. So basically the reason Congress is voting on this criminal code is because the district, unlike pretty much any other city in the country, is solely the responsibility of Congress. It's our nation's capital. And so the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, specifically provides 
that Congress has the ultimate authority and control over what happens in our nation's capital. Now, in the 1970s, Congress devolved certain powers to a local elected city council and a local elected mayor in D.C., but they retained the right to have the final say on any bill uh, that is passed in the District of Columbia. They rarely used that right in the past, uh, but this bill was so bad and so egregious uh, that they chose to exercise that power in this case. The um, so what? Let's talk about the quote softening of the code. What 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 were some of the yeah. main components of of what the city council in D.C. wanted to do? Yeah, so there were three provisions. So it was a complete rewrite of their criminal code, and there were really three things that were incredibly controversial, and rightfully so. One is the DCC Council proposed to eliminate all mandatory minimum sentences for, for all crimes except for first-degree murder. Uh, so things like rape, robbery, carjacking, those crimes would no longer carry mandatory minimum sentences. Also, for most crimes under the new code, the D.C. Council lowered what the maximum penalties would be. And so even though they kept the mandatory minimum sentence for first-degree murder, they lowered uh, what that mandatory minimum would be. And they also lowered the maximum penalties for a host of other crimes. And then they also passed uh, what's called a second look provision. This is very controversial. It's becoming more common, particularly in left-leaning states, where essentially, regardless of the crime that someone commits, even, again, violent crimes, things like rape, robbery, murder, uh, someone, after they've served a certain number of years, in this case, the D.C. Council said 20 years, they can apply to have their sentence looked at again and essentially ask a court, you know, if they've been on good behavior while they've been in prison, if they can show they've reformed their ways, to be let out of prison early, regardless of what their original sentence was. And so these were very controversial provisions. Uh, Victims' rights groups were very upset about them, again, rightfully so. And I think it's importantly... uh, it's important to realize the backdrop against which the D.C. City Council passed these provisions. You know, crime in the district, like crime in other cities around the country, has been increasing over the past several years. In fact, last year and the year before, for the first time in two decades, the district topped over 200 murders in a single year, and they're likely to do it again this year. Carjackings in the district have been rising for the past five years. Last year, in the District of Columbia, there were 485 carjacking. That's more than one a day. And so it really boggles the mind that the district that the district's council chose to implement these soft on crime policies at a time when crime is absolutely exploding. We're talking to Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow uh, over at the Edwin Meese Center at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, now, I might have missed it because you were you were going through a bunch of stuff there. Was no cash bail part of any of their silliness? This wasn't part of this specific code reform, but the district does have one of the most lax no-cash-bail policies in the country. Another issue that's come up as well is juvenile offenders are also not being prosecuted or held accountable for their crimes in the District of Columbia. And so unfortunately, what that has done is created perverse incentives for gangs and other organized criminal enterprises to recruit juveniles to go out and do heinous crimes, shoot people, carjack people, and commit other violent offenses because they know that while someone who's over 18 may face a stiff punishment, someone who's under 18 certainly will not. And that's, again, no good for the district or other communities where those types of policies have been implemented. 
So the the bill ha- from the House has not gone over to the Senate yet, right? Yeah, it has. Oh, it, it has. has. And what so, happened over there? So fortunately, the Senate agreed with the House. They voted to override the district. It was a bipartisan effort. In fact, many prominent Democratic senators crossed the aisle, voted with Republicans. And Joe Biden has said he will sign this override provision. Now, he hasn't done it yet, uh, but he should do so shortly. And again, I think it shows, you know, not only in the district, but really around the country, people are tired of uh, local politicians not allowing police officers to do their jobs, make arrests, keep communities safe, and they're tired of local district attorneys who are refusing to prosecute criminals and seek justice for victims. And so, you know, unfortunately, while things are really bad in a lot of cities right now in terms of you know, violent crime spiking, uh, we could be start, starting to see the pendulum shift because we had this override in Congress. We saw Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, lose her reelection bid, largely because of her soft on crime policies. And we also have seen San Francisco kick their liberal rogue district attorney, Chase Boudin, out of office. And so even in left-leaning cities, people are getting fed up and saying, look, we have to have accountability. We have to have justice. And this lawlessness that we're currently seeing cannot be tolerated. Were there um, how many people voted against the bill uh, in in the House and the Senate? Roughly, do you know? Well, I would have to go back and look. I think in the Senate there were 14 Democratic senators that did not vote uh, to override uh, the D.C. criminal code. Basically, means they supported uh, D.C.'s revision effort. Uh, but look, unfortunately, many of the people who supported this reform and who have supported broader soft on crime, criminal justice reforms, they bought into two myths about our criminal justice system. They bought into the myth that we have a systemically racist criminal justice system, which we don't. And they bought into the myth that we have a mass incarceration problem, which again, we don't. If you look at who's actually spending time in state and federal prisons, it's not first time nonviolent offenders. It's by and large repeat violent offenders. And so when you talk about either incarcerating fewer people or you talk about letting more people currently incarcerated out of prison, you're necessarily talking about not sending some people who need to be in prison, uh, not sending them there. And that, again, makes our communities less safe. We have a county attorney here who I'd say she, I'd, at best, I'd say she's kind of a, feels like a George Soros kind of uh, MacArthur Foundation groupie, okay? And what she does is she comes up to meetings and she says, um, uh, 4% of Pima County, that's where we're at, is uh, African Americans, right? But 14% of the Pima County jail is 15, is filled with, with African Americans, so criminal justice system's racist. Right. Yeah, we've heard That's that a lot. At. And again, it's a it's a nonsense argument. And I'll put a plug in. Me and my colleague, we have a book coming out later this year entitled Rogue Prosecutors, where we talk about this so-called progressive prosecutor movement, why their policies are dangerous, why arguments like that are wrong, and how you can spot them and push back against them. But one of the statistics I doubt she cites is that when violent crime increases, it's predominantly young black men who are victimized by violent crimes. And so when violent crime increases, that necessarily means more young black men are being victimized. And so the sad irony of these so-called reforms is that they're designed 
supposedly, to combat systemic racism, uh, to help members of minority communities uh, across the country. But if you look at who's actually being victimized, these policies are actually harming the members of those communities the most. I would I, I would pay and put it together Zach Smith and County Attorney Laura Conover in a debate about public safety. <laughs> Set it up. I'm happy to do it. All right. I, I just heard that. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work on this. We'll we'll do the invite. Uh, she won't she won't consider me a neutral uh, moderator, but we we have plenty of people that we can we can figure out for this. So uh, so. So we talked about no cash bails, right? So in Tucson, we, you know, we're a border community, right? Um, we are, fentanyl is going crazy in this town. We have a, uh, a city council that's been defunding police for about 12 years. So um, we, even the police chief said he doesn't have enough people to cover the city of Tucson anymore, right? right. We, have, right. we have a really soft on crime county attorney, the other thing I'm seeing, Zach, I want to get your take on is these. What's going on in the uh, the with the judges, right? These the first people that these 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 uh, accused criminals are seeing are just kicking them back on the street like it's nothing. Are you seeing that as a as a trend in some of these cities? It is. It is, and it could be a couple of things happening. But look, I would suspect, I don't know, but what we've seen in other jurisdictions is that largely is a function of what's happening in the local district attorney or the county attorney's office as well. Because by and large, judges are relying on what the local elected prosecutor tells them in terms of what charges are being brought, in terms of how dangerous someone is, uh, in terms of whether that person poses a flight risk uh, for not showing back up to court again. And part and parcel of this rogue prosecutor movement is a belief that essentially no one should be held pretrial. And so we've seen it in Philadelphia, we've seen it in Chicago, we've seen it in Los Angeles. These prosecutors are essentially finding ways not to ask for bail or to make sure that even violent criminals are being released back on the street pending their trial. And well, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist <laughs> to know what happens uh, when those types of individuals are being released back on the street crime goes up. They often victimize uh, many more people than they otherwise would have been able to. And again, it's part of the trend that is making our communities across the country less safe. So Zach, if you were going to sit down and kind of say, maybe you guys have already done it, the top four or five things that a community needs to look at and improve on to make their community safer from policing up through, you know, uh, attorneys and judiciary, what would, what would that look like? I don't, I don't know if you're prepared to answer this question, but what, maybe you are, you're a smart cookie. What are those four or five basic things that a community really needs to take a hard look at and reform to go back to where maybe we were 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, well, you're starting in the exact right place. We know what works to bring down violent crime rates. We know what works to make communities safer. I mean, look at what happened in New York City in the early 90s. They adopted a broken windows approach to policing. And what that basically means is that cities need to, to fund their police departments. They need to be sure there are adequate staffing in those police departments. And then they need to empower those officers to go onto the street and appropriately do their jobs, enforce the laws, and make arrests when people violate the law. And then you need prosecutors who are going to bring charges 
prosecute criminals and seek justice for victims when the police make arrests. And so this isn't hard. It's just, unfortunately, right now, many on the left are living in an alternative reality, uh, saying that you can cut police uh, forces, that you cannot prosecute crimes, and somehow that will make communities safer. It's nonsense. And until we shift the focus, get back to the basic blocking and tackling of funding police, prosecuting criminals, you know, things will continue to, to get worse before they get better, unfortunately. All right, Zach. Great debut appearance on Wake Up Tucson. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how do I get Zach Smith and Laura Conover in a debate about public safety because I think that would be magical. I, I'll, I'll, Dan Mari's from KOLD could be the moderator, just perfect. And uh, we're gonna work this out, Zach Smith. So you might get a call one day right. where, you know, are you, you're, uh, now I'll pay for your hotel. Can you pay? Can, can Heritage pay for the flight? We'll, we'll, you know, we'll work out the details. Yeah. But listen, this sounds like a great, uh, a great opportunity, and I would welcome uh, a debate. All right, my man. Thanks for the good work today. Thanks for the good work you've been doing, and hopefully, we'll, I know you do a lot of Supreme Court stuff. We'll do that. Uh, we'll, hopefully, we'll do that another day. Okay. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, amigo. That's uh, Zach Smith. He's with the Heritage Foundation, of course, heritage.org, to find out more. Um, I don't know. Either I'm going to do tabs or I'm going to read that Mark that Mark Fincham email again. I don't know which one's going to make me laugh more. So you're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk, little Springsteen. Uh, tomorrow we got uh, Asta Van der Heiden. From the Goldwater Institute. All right. Uh, Get in the chopper. uh, Ed's going to confirm it, but hopefully we'll have Brian Jeffries, the voice of the Wildcats. Might not fit in with the... They're playing on Thursday. They travel, so maybe not. Matters what time the plane leaves. Yeah, it does. So we'll figure it out. Get in the chopper. We'll we'll take him to the airport in the chopper. And then uh, Wednesday, Dan Shearer and Dr. Neal on drought, snow... All that good stuff. Wake up, Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. 8.54 in the morning, you're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. So Wendell says, I booked Duran Duran in Tucson 10 years ago. All right? So think about that. You want a signpost, right? We were talking about IBM, right? Signpost ahead. Signpost to Tucson's doom is 10 years ago, Duran Duran would consider coming to Tucson. They they're, they're, they ain't, they ain't coming back. Signpost ahead. Next up, the Twilight Zone. Even Simon LeBon has Google Tucson. So, he's like, yeah. Ah, he hung out with you and Jackie. Why does he need to come back? He, he hung out with all the cool kids. That's true. That was when they played the Rialto, uh, believe it or not. So, that was before Wendell booked him at... Uh, Dur- uh, that was the last time Duran Duran was seen south of the Gila, other than maybe on vacation at, you know... Miraval, Canyon Ranch, something like that. So let's get to this story. Let's let's end off with a little bit of a laugh. In January, Newark, New Jersey Mayor Democrat Has Baraka announced that the city has entered into a cultural trade deal with the sister city, the United uh, uh, the United States of Kailasa. Kailasa, according to the announcement, is one of the in, of India's emerging independent Hindu nations. Well, that's cool. They got the tweet. Um, it says it says even in in the uh, in the in the Kailasa tweet that it says United States of America 
signs bilateral agreement with United States of Kailasa, even though it looks like it's just New Jersey, New York, Newark. At the January signing, Barack, Baraka, excuse me, uh, shared, "quote I pray our relationship helps us understand relationship helps us understand cultural, social, political development, and continues improves the lives of everybody in both places. That helps us to understand where we are, who we are, and our connectivity to one another, and helps us to become better people in the process, better people individually, and as cities and nations." Unquote. It's beautiful. The only problem is Kailasa does not actually exist. <laughs> According to Jersey News 12 reports, eh, Jersey 12. Okay. I like their headline. Newark accidentally enters into sister city deal with fake city. Newark <laughs> officials apparently uh, thought they were getting involved. Um, Accidentally? The United States of Kailasa is fake. Uh, DJ Simon, resident, quote, I think it's embarrassing. He didn't do the background research before entertaining that, unquote. That's not accidentally. That's... (laughs) Ignorantly. The the, the, the spokesperson, they couldn't get the mayor on, (laughs) said as soon as they learned... They immediately took action to cancel the sister city agreement. Now, I don't know if you know this. It's not an agreement because one of the entities is fake. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Matt and I uh, entering into an agreement with Willy Wonka, right? Keep using the horn. And we find out Willy's fake. What? When we said. What? (laughs) Wait a minute. Now, Colleen's taking it right from the other side. No one in their right mind would be in a sister re- assist- a relationship with Newark. <laughs> right. <laughs> well played. <laughs> that should have been the first tip-off. <laughs> right. It's like, who the hell would want to be sister with cities? Us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Tucson's got like five sister cities. So... Maybe we should check. I know Tim Steller research is expensive and prolonged, and you know, I know you. I know you did your story about how you spoke Spanish with Juan Siscamani, and your Spanish is probably better than someone born in Mexico. I know, I know, he's so great. Uh, the uh, I don't even know why this is a story. I mean, a line. The deal's been voided. What? <laughs> <coughs> Uh, Newark officials say they remain committing. They're committed uh, to partnering with people from different cultures. So much commitment. What about fake people? That's what I want to know. There you go. And the other, the other interview this weekend that I'm looking at, not mentions on Thursday, we have intern Ryan, right? And we're going to preview March Madness, right? Schweikert. And then... Gabe Trujillo is confirmed, the superintendent of TUSD, making his triumphant return to wake up to. I haven't seen him since uh, Fauci put a, uh, a a pandemic on us. Who said that? You're on Wake Up Tucson, 10.30. Matt, thanks for a great time. Thanks. Thanks to Drew Heaton, Zach Smith. Zach Smith versus Conover. That would be amazing. Atlantis, new sister city. <laughs>